talk with him. <laughs> oh, you're, I'm passing you're him over. Just it. great. It's it's amazing. I tell you what, watch it again and again. I have teased that that <laughs> one, that video we need to do. Like you've seen the movies where they have the the actors doing commentary underneath, telling you what's going yeah. on. I know it moves Get way too background. fast, but you feel like you got to have this background of what's happening there and why all the little squeaks and squeals and screams and all kinds of different things going on. It's just, wow, how fun, how fun. Good to be able to relive that. Welcome to Southfield again this morning. Great to have you here today. Beautiful summer day. Mm -hmm. August is, is plowing along. Part of August is going back to school. So what was one of the highlights of of having kids back in the classroom this week? Oh, highlights of having kids back is just having them back. Having them I back. I think literally just being, again, confidently having people back in the room. Uh, we were able to do some things this year uh, because things are a little, a little looser than they were last year. So we were able to do some things. I actually sent some kids out. We're studying geography. Sent some kids out running through the hallway trying to map the entire school, and their maps were terrible. So I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> a lot of work to do teaching. I could map that school very well. <laughs> we, we got a pretty good idea of yeah. where everything is in there after seven years of doing church in that building. <laughs> right. So yeah. how about uh, Refuge Revive? What was, what was the cool part of regathering for that. Yeah, that was cool. It's, it's really weird uh, to, to have kids that you've watched since second grade finally make it to Revive without you really noticing. Uh, Harry's been in re Refuge for three years, you know, and there are other kids too, but it, he's the biggest, so it's just like he stands out. And so seeing Harry, who I thought was in fifth grade when he was in kindergarten, now in high school, like, hey, what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> I'm a freshman now. I'm like, oh, well, your voice is deeper than mine, and you're you can beat me up. Um, so, so it's cool. It's cool to have that crop of kids that have been watching for a long time finally be with us at Revive. And we've got some new team members uh, helping out. On Wednesday night, Refuge, we spent uh, some time getting to know our leaders, and I asked them some ridiculous questions. Uh, I don't remember the exact questions, but one of them was, would you rather have uh, furry palms for the rest of your life? So you have like just Nothing wrong with it, but just furry palms. I know, think about that. Uh, or Play-Doh fingers. And they, so your, your fingers will never fall off. The, the fur never goes away. So which one would you rather have? Which one would you rather have? Furry uh, palms or Play-Doh fingers? Pass. <laughs> <laughs> if your right hand offends, you cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was that kind of night on Wednesday. Play-Doh fingers refuge. would be interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if I can do the, yeah, because then people would be constantly pulling your finger out. Like, right. Yeah, I don't know. Not all about oh, that. But, so my. we, that was the kind of thing that we did on Wednesday. Uh, so it's been good. It's good to have everybody back. Oh, that's and great. We are into our normal schedule. So tonight from 6 to 8, Revive, uh, and Wednesday, 6.30 to 8.30, uh, Refuge for the junior hires. And we do, on Wednesday nights, we, we sent out a message um, just so that we can make sure that everybody is good and safe. Uh, we open the doors at 625, and we try and kick them out as close to 830 as we possibly can. This week we ran a little long because someone was long-winded with the rules and things like that. Uh, so we, we do want to try and honor that as best as possible. So 625 to 830 uh, on Wednesday nights, we'll make sure to, to get them it's out. It's funny, we too. clearly, we do not practice a bit of this time of talking together. No, otherwise but you wouldn't as, have been As you were wrapping that up, my question was going to be, Wednesday nights, I know there's a special drop-off time, and, yeah. and the door doesn't open sooner, and boom, you blast it into it. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, High school, that's, because, that's mo crazy. because most of them can drive themselves, we, you know, we allow them to hang a little, a little while after, so it doesn't, we don't kick them out the door at 8, we kick them out the door at 8.30, um, but Wednesday, we know that your time is valuable, and we, we don't want to 
have you sitting in the parking lot for 45 minutes. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. Two, bi you know, two big changes after last year. Uh, one is you don't have somebody at the door handing you a paper bulletin mm -hmm. every week. Uh, instead, we, we deliver that to you uh, by way of email on Saturdays. So if you've not signed up for that yet, you need to get signed up for that. It's important. This is the way you get your news. And, and the, I think the part I like about this is the links are built right in. So very often, you know, there's something that you're supposed to sign up for or something you need to check out. Boom, you can hit the link and go. So if you've not done that yet, you can sign up either through our website, southfieldchurch.com. You can talk to the people at the Info Hub. Any of those ways, get signed up for that. And, and as always, whenever you sign up for something that's through a you know, marketing thing like Constant Contact, more often than not, the first time it goes to spam and you got to pull it out of spam and put it into the right folder. But uh, make sure you get signed up for that. And the other thing, of course, that has changed is we're not passing an offering plate anymore. Uh, instead, a lot of you have either transitioned to online giving or putting your offering in the black box at the door on the way out. So uh, just a couple of things to remind you about some things that are a little different than they used to be. Mm -hmm. Speaking of different, a different Sunday coming up in two weeks. In two weeks, we're going to be doing an outdoor service. We've enjoyed doing these three outdoor Sundays this year, which are reflective of our coming back last year to the outdoor times together. And at this particular one, uh, we're looking forward to doing some baptisms. And, and we've had several people already sign up to do baptisms. Every one of them has signed up to be baptized in the river and not in the pool here at church. So that's where we are so far. That's not to say there won't be more. So this week and next week, I'm going to say something a couple times, and I'm actually going to have you repeat it so that there is no excuse, okay? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make things really, really messy. Are you ready for this? So on Sunday the 5th at 10.30... September 5th. Of September 5th at 10.30, you won't come here to church. You'll go to the river. We'll, we'll gather at the river. Sounds very much like a song. We'll gather at the river, and we'll do the river baptisms there at 10.30. So, say it with me. River baptisms at 10.30. River, river baptisms, baptisms at 10.30. 30. At the river. At the river. <laughs> Not at church. Not at, church. At, the river. at the river. If you just woke up, we're talking about baptisms on September 5th at 10.30 at the river. Then we will come back here to eat. I don't even have to repeat that yeah. one because you know that one. If somebody wants to get baptized at the pool here at church, we'll do those baptisms as we come back, okay? So I know it's going to be complicated. I know it's going to be a mess. I know you're already thinking about going to a new church, whatever. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. If you've never been to one of the river baptisms, they are, they're, just a, they're a highlight. And if yeah. you've not been baptized, what are you waiting for? Get online, go ahead, sign up, and give us the chance to celebrate your moment of saying, yes, I am a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Yeah, so, the cool thing with that, too, if, if you're nervous about, like, I've had a couple of people ask, like, who can baptize me? Like, does it have to be you? There's no magic in those hands. If there's no magic in those hands, then there's definitely no magic in these hands. Uh, so if you have somebody who's been influential in your walk, maybe it's a small group leader, maybe it's a, a youth leader from, from several years ago, I don't know, whoever has been influential in your walk with Jesus and getting into that relationship with him, have them dunk you. We, you we, catch it, we, you clean it. We fish, and <laughs> we use the fishing rule. You catch it, you clean it. Yeah. So... 
if you've been involved in catching somebody for Christ and they want you to go ahead and baptize them, we're glad to walk you through that. And at the same time, if you're like, oh no, I don't have anybody, that's fine. We'll, we'll do it for you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. The other thing that's, that's right there on the agenda these days is getting signed up for a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, journey groups are about ready to get blasting off again and lots of great options. There are going to be a few more added in the next couple of weeks. So keep an eye on that and make sure you get, get involved in that information. We're going to be talking about information this morning and the role of information in the life of a believer. Information put in a mental file folder that just sits there does nothing except make you look brilliant. Information is about transformation. And information in combination with relationship is what often leads to great spiritual transformation. So it's not just about the topic that's being taught. It's about the fact that we get to enter into relationship together. So it's 9.09. We are on a, we are on a time budget today because we've added some extra music. So our, our team is coming up, and as they do, I want to tell you we have, we have a special guest here today, and we're really excited. Tyler Yost came back uh, to lead worship with us today. I, this is prior to COVID. It's been a while now that, that Tyler moved far enough away that coming here every Sunday, you know, these guys get here at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning to start practicing, getting here at 8 o'clock, coming from that distance with, at that point, a, a foster baby who's now his adopted child. Um, it, it was a bit of a haul. And so he's going to a church closer to home. But every once in a while, you got to get the old band back together. <laughs> And the old band is back together, so I hug you with a guitar. Good to see you today, Tyler. <laughs> Glad to have you. And let's stand and sing. I can't imagine, Father, how much you look forward to Sunday morning, how much you look forward to this this concert of praise that is lifted up all over the world. This morning, you heard heard from Shorewood and Manuka and Morris and Joliet, you heard from New Lenox, you heard from Shanahan, and these praises just, they lift up to you, and, and to your ears, you hear every word, every word of praise comes to you, and you receive honor and glory as we sing to you. But God, there's also this side that, that we get to be washed in truth. We, we get to just have, we get to sing truth, and as we sing the truth, it washes our souls, and we once again are reminded of what is really real, because we walk through a world that is not really real. We walk through a world that is a darn mess, and it is great to be able to sing songs that reorient us to true north so that we know the truth and are washed in the truth. Thank you for the invention of music and for the beauty of being able to sing to you, whether it is beautiful on key or a total mess like mine, whatever it is, God, I'm grateful that we get to lift up praise to you and the benefit we receive from it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You go ahead and have a seat. Wow, that was, hey, two more to come. So 
I'm going to talk really fast, okay? Because we, we've got some more, more singing, more praising. Do. We were supposed to actually go to communion during the first song, but I was kind of so excited I just blew right by that. So if we go into the next part and I forget communion, just say communion. Let's say it together. Communion. There you go. Okay. So just say communion and I'll remember. Uh, you know, when I get a chance to be away for a little bit, I like it because it gives me it gives me an opportunity to be quiet, and sometimes you can only hear when you're quiet. Sometimes you can only really hear the, the voice of God and what God is prompting within you when, when you just shut up. Sometimes we just need to be quiet. And so these, these sermons, last week, this week, next week, they don't really fall in a, in a series per se. It's just, it's just some areas that God's been bumping my heart. And, and I suspect maybe if he's bumping me there, he's bumping you there as well. So, so last week we talked about baptism. If you've not been baptized yet, go ahead and watch that or listen to it again and, and let the truth wash over you. What does, what's God saying to you in regard to whether or not you should be baptized? Next week, next week's going to be interesting because I think, you know, I'm asked a lot these days, is this the end of the world? Is, is Jesus about to come like three minutes from now? Uh, what's going on? Did he already come and I missed it? What, you know, what's happening? What's happening in the world right now? And so we're going to spend some time next week just, just talking about some observations about what's happening in the world and how it lines up to what Scripture has to say. This week, though, this week, I've been thinking a lot about Nicodemus. My, my, my heart this summer was drawn back to John 3. John 3, a, a, a chapter that while you don't know the whole chapter, you know at least one verse. In fact, it's one of those mornings. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die, but have everlasting life. We get eternal life through Jesus. And there's this man, his name is Nicodemus, and we read at the beginning of John chapter 3, that he's a Jewish religious leader. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body. It says, after one dark evening, he comes to Jesus at night. He comes to speak with Jesus, and, and he addresses him. He says, Rabbi, we know that God has sent you to teach us. We understand that. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So here he comes to talk to Jesus. And in order to understand the conversation, we've got to understand a little bit about Nicodemus. We need to know who this man is. So, so there are three factors that help us to understand Nicodemus better. First, he's a Pharisee. And to give you an idea of what a Pharisee is, I'm going to, I'm going to take you a modern American word, a modifier. It's the word pharisaical. If somebody calls you pharisaical, they're not being complimentary. It's, it's quite derogatory. It's quite ugly. I went with a definition straight from the dictionary. It says, practicing or advocating strict observance of external forms and ceremonies of religion or conduct without regard to spirit, to be self-righteous, to be hypocritical. People who are all about outward form, all about how it looks, all about appearance, but spirit is dried up and dead. There's nothing there. There's nothing inside. These were the Pharisees. This is part of the body that Nicodemus is part of. And, and what's interesting is that as Jesus carries on this conversation with them, he's going to talk about the difference between being a mere shell of a person and living and walking in the Spirit. He has something to say to him about that. In, Ma in Matthew chapter, chapter 23, Jesus is talking to the crowd 
And here's what he says to them. He says, these religious leaders and Pharisees, they're the official interpreters of the law of Moses, so practice and obey whatever they tell you. He says, you're supposed to listen to them. You're supposed to do what they say. But here's what he says. He says, they practice and obey, then practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. Do what they say. Don't do what they do. Don't live the way they do. He says, they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. What does Jesus say about himself? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But the Pharisees were oppressing people. One of the laws that I like to mention from time to time is in the Sabbath, the Jewish people were told by the Pharisees they could not spit. Because if you spit, your saliva would roll dirt and that would be work, no spitting on the Sabbath. I mean, can you imagine that? These are the rules these people made up and said, you follow them, you follow them, you follow them. But the Pharisees didn't always follow them that well themselves. It was all about form, nothing about spirit. He said everything they do is for show. They pray for show. They want the best seat at the banquet for show. They love the title rabbi. I, I, I get a kick out of people who have to be called the very reverend. I, I just makes me laugh. I'm like, and people ask me what to call me. I'm like, well, Dennis works. That's, that's really good. That's really good. They, they love the title. They were into the title. And a little later, Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. He says, don't, don't, don't do what they do. Do what they say. Obey the law. But don't do what they do. They were pharisaical. What else? Well, he's well-educated. Pharisees were some of the best-educated people in society. In fact, throughout history, religious people were also almost always some of the best-educated people in the community. He knows his stuff. And, and Jesus is actually going to ding him a little bit in the conversation and say, you're educated. You should know this. How do you not know this? They also had important legal standing in the community. When the Romans came in to occupy this land, especially Israel, they were brilliant in the way that they ruled the people. They didn't simply rule them with an iron fist, but they chose people from among their own people to say, you'll help us rule. And so they allowed this group, the Sanhedrin, made up of Pharisees, they allowed this group to rule over the religious life of the body. They didn't get involved there. However, if they wanted to enact a penalty, like Jesus, blasphemy, death, they couldn't do that on their own. They had to go to the religion, they had to go to the authorities, to the Romans, to get permission. So a Pharisee had some power over you, not only religiously, but politically. This gives you an idea of who Nicodemus is. He comes to Jesus at night. A lot of people believe he came at night because he didn't want to be seen. He's a Pharisee. He doesn't want to be seen associating with Jesus. Some people actually think that the night is not only a reference to the physical night, but the spiritual night that Nicodemus was in as well. A lot of times in the book of John, John refers to darkness John refers to the night as a place where people live when they don't have the truth. And that's exactly where Nicodemus is. He's coming to Jesus, and he is in the dark. He doesn't know the truth, at least not yet. He comes to talk to Jesus. He gives him this compliment, rabbi. He basically says, we're peers. We're equals. He even says, we know you've been sent to us by God. Now, 
there's a debate. Is this just the royal we? He doesn't want to say I. Or were there others? Were there other Pharisees, other members of the Sanhedrin that were wondering about who Jesus is? I suspect that was the case. Joseph of Arimathea is part of the Sanhedrin, and he's ultimately helpful in bringing the body of Jesus off the cross. There were others wondering about who Jesus is. He saw the miracles. He saw something going on here. The transition from this greeting to the next verse is jarring. Jesus doesn't say, wow, you called me rabbi, thanks. I've been waiting to be recognized. You know, I've been teaching like a madman. Nobody's real. I've been doing miracles and people aren't willing to come. Thank you so much. He doesn't do that. He just kind of, he skips over the pleasantries. He gets right to the truth, right to the point. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. To which, good old Nicodemus in the Greek says, wait, what? What are you talking about, dude? I don't, what are, what in the world? What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, Nicodemus does not think that that's what Jesus is talking about at all. He's being facetious. He knows that that's not the case. What he also knows is he doesn't know what in the world Jesus is talking about. He doesn't have a clue. Born again? I am educated religiously. I've never heard that term. What are you talking about? Well, Jesus goes on. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. He talks about the fact that we're born humanly. We're born of a mother here on earth. But then there's also a spiritual life into which we're born. And that spiritual life comes from the Spirit, the Spirit of God. It says you must be born again. This Spirit blows like the wind. You can't, you can't see it, but you know it's a fact. The Spirit is very real. And he needs to hear that because as a, as a Pharisee, he was a part of a group of hollowed out people, people who followed the rules religiously but had no impact or evidence of the Spirit of God in their life. He hears this from Jesus, and his response is what? How can these things be possible? Again, what in the world are you talking about? I, I don't get it. I'm trying to understand. Jesus responds to him. You're a respected Jewish teacher, and you don't understand these things? Come on. You should know this by now. You should understand this by now. What Jesus is doing is taking all the education that Nicodemus had received as a Pharisee, and he is flipping it on its head. He's taking everything up till now. He's saying everything up till now points to me. Everything up till now points to a Messiah who will come and die on a cross. All of this, and he's helping him to start to understand what the Bible had been saying all along, what had been spoken in Scripture that he didn't understand. He even references a story that that Nicodemus would know very well. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the bronze pole in the wilderness, the one that if the people looked at, they would be healed. So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. God loves the world so much. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through Him. Now we're not hearing this the way this Pharisee Nicodemus is hearing this but he's hearing some things that to him sound like heresy. He doesn't get it. And for one, Jesus is clearly talking about the Messiah. But the Messiah was supposed to come riding in on a white horse, swords flying out of his mouth, and wipe out the enemy. 
And instead, you're talking about a Messiah that's going to be weak, that's going to fall to an enemy, that's going to die. This is taking everything he's understood about Messiah and just flipping it. But beyond that, he's hearing this concept of a son of God. More than one God he's hearing. That's what he's hearing, more than one God. Jewish people are monotheistic. By the way, we are too. We believe there is one God. We believe there is one God existing in the form of three persons, three personalities. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were rather foreign concepts to this Pharisee. He understood Jehovah. He understood Jehovah. But Father, Son, and Spirit, all of this is its just scrambling his theological eggs. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? He goes on, and I love this because in verses 18 to 21, he says, basically, you came in darkness. You came in the dark at night, and dark is where sin lives. And the Father wants to bring you into the light. The Father wants you to walk in the light as he is in the light. And, and, and the period comes at the end of verse 21 and verse 22 we read, Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. It's kind of a weird conversation. In fact, I think a lot of us remember this conversation a little differently because we've seen it a lot in movies or heard it on tapes or something else. And we, we can't believe kind of how abrupt it is. There, there, is no, there is no Jesus altar call at the end. So do you believe? Come on. Just believe in me. There is no declaration from Nicodemus at the end of the conversation. Truly, you are the Son of God. It just, er, done. He's handed a file of information. And Jesus says, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with what you know? What are you going to do with what you've learned? What, what are you going to do with this teaching? The reason I've been thinking a lot about Nicodemus is because I believe that's where a lot of us sit. A lot of us sit in a state of well-informed. We have a mental file full of biblical knowledge. We like to pull it out from time to time with friends, talk, sound smart, sound like we know our stuff, and then put it back in the file and leave it there, leave it be, leave it alone. But that information... That information was supposed to lead to transformation. That information was supposed to lead to life change. That information was supposed to lead to the place that you are no longer a slave to fear or whatever else it is. You're a child of God and you can live in complete freedom. But for a lot of us, we live very well informed, but we don't live like children of God. We don't, we don't live like, we, we live like the Pharisee who knows the rules, but the Spirit isn't there. Our transformation has been halted, it's been stunted, because we're letting the information sit in our mental file folder instead of living it out. So I'd like to walk through a few examples. And, and, and this is by no means, uh, you know, exhaustive today. A few examples of ways that we refuse to be transformed. We listen to the truth. We might even say amen. But we don't live it out. Last week we talked about Romans 6. 
I'm going to tell you, that passage has been doing work over on me this week. It really has. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have the power to live a life free from the chains of sin. And you know how most of us live? Yeah, that, no. I am a slave to my habits. I am a slave to my addictions. I am a slave to my problems. There's nothing I can do about it. We believe one of the lines of our times, I was born that way. I was born that way. There's some truth in that statement, you know. We were all born that way. We were all born in sin. We were all born in sin. But the implication of I was born that way is and I have no choice but stay that way. And Romans 6 says you don't have to stay stuck in your sin. You don't have to stay stuck in your habit. You don't have to stay stuck in that place. You're a child of God. Your redemption has given you freedom from the penalty and power of sin. So when are you going to start living the information instead of just saying, that's real nice, but that's not my experience. That's not what I'm living. Because here's the thing, the Bible is the truth and everything else is a fantasy. The Bible speaks truth and everything else is a lie being whispered in your ears. When are we going to choose to live the information instead of just listening to the information? Someone once said that believers and modern American believers are, are well informed beyond their level of obedience. When are we going to obey what we read? When are we going to believe the words of God instead of saying, nice theory? But I know better. I live in the 21st century. How about addictions? I've had a lot of dealings this summer with people who are either in addiction, people who are walking with somebody through addiction, people who, who are at the beginning of, they're in the darkness of their addiction, they're in the beginning of their freedom from addiction, they've been living free from addiction for many, many years. And, and when it comes to addictions, I got to say, people who are walking that walk are some of the most well-informed people around. They've gone to rehab, they've gone to meetings, they've gone to all this stuff. They know, they know, they know. When are you going to take what you know and live it? When are you going to take what you know and actually practice it? I referenced it earlier today. Jesus, Jesus gives one of the best lines on addiction there is. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, gouge it out. What's he saying? He's saying, my goodness. He, he, he's saying... You need to be radical in your approach to your issues. You know the line of most addicted people, and more of us are addicted than we think? I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle going to the winery and watching other people. I can handle going to the brewery. I can, I can handle my spouse having the booze in the fridge. I can handle it. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, gouge it out. Be radical in your approach. That's the information that comes from the Word of God. But we say, no, I got this. And we wonder why our transformation is stunted. How about bitterness? Known a lot of people in my lifetime. And I've known a lot of people at different stages of their walk. I've known them at the stage of their walk where they are bright and cheerful. They are the life of the party. They're smiling. They're laughing. They're gleeful. They bring energy to everything that's going on. 
And I've known those same people years later who walk in and you can smell the death on them. No smile. Won't even engage you with their eyes. Give you something beyond a cold shoulder. The, the breeze comes in the room when they come walking in. Because somewhere along the line, they were offended. Somewhere along the line, they were sinned against. Somewhere along the line, something happened, and they chose to take that, that incident and treasure it in their heart. And they let the bitterness grow. Like, like my precious, they held on to it, and they wouldn't let go. And they let the bitterness grow. And they've come to a point that they're finding covering in their bitter state. And you know what? They know everything the Bible says about forgiveness. They know everything the Bible says about bitterness. They know everything the Bible says about resentment. They say, so what? And they live untransformed. They live untransformed because they're not willing to live out the information that they're given so clearly from the Word of God. Baptism. We talked about baptism last week. I always laugh when I do these baptism sermons because I know some of you, you white-knuckle it the whole time. You do. You know, you're like, oh, here he goes again. He's doing his baptism. If I could just make it through the next half hour, I can make it for another year. You don't, you don't want, you know, you've got some reason that you're not going to do this. You're just not going to do this. And, and you're afraid that I'm going to look at you right in the eyeballs and say, what you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What in the world are you waiting for? If Jesus says to do it, what in the world are you waiting for? And you wonder why your transformation is stunted. Because you've got a mental file folder full of notes about baptism and you're saying, eh, so what? Let me give one more. How many times have we spoken the truth? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. Salvation comes through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And you got a file folder of information that you're trying to make work that doesn't involve Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't involve grace. It doesn't involve salvation. It involves doing more, being better, trying more. And I just, I'm here to tell you today, your, your transformation has not even started. Because not, you're not willing to take the information in the file folder and live it. You say, I've given you, I've given you five examples today, but the truth is I, I probably missed yours. But you walked in today with your file. You walked in today with your biblical information that if you would just live it, it would change your life. And you keep saying, eh, next week, next month, next year, some other time, not now. I love the rest of the story of Nicodemus. We don't hear a lot about him. We know he didn't make a decision that night. We know in John chapter 7 that the, the, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they'd love to put Jesus to death. And, 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 and Nicodemus kind of does this, I, I refer to it as a rather lame defense. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus is a good guy. He, he, he speaks up in verse 51 and says, is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? You know, uh, and, and the Pharisees recognize where he's coming from. You're, you're falling for this guy, aren't you? You're falling for this guy. What's wrong with you? You're a Pharisee. Go down to John chapter 19. Jesus' body is hanging on a cross. Dead. 
Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate to ask permission to take Jesus' body down. They don't know, but that, that's a big ask. Part of crucifixion, part of crucifying a convict was to leave him on the cross until the birds picked the flesh off his bones. Be up there for weeks. It was supposed to be a deterrent. You were supposed to walk by and go, oh, I'm not doing what it says at the top of that cross. Not going to find me up there. With guts and bravery, this man who we read is a, a secret follower of Jesus asked permission to take the body down. It says, with him came Nicodemus, a man who came to Jesus at night. He brought 75 pounds of burial perfume. Some believe it was the perfume and ointment that he intended for his own burial. And he willingly touched the body of Jesus and laid it in a tomb. This is a big deal. Bible, Bible tells us that, that a religious leader wasn't supposed to touch a dead body or they'd be ceremonially unclean. This is the Passover. This is, this is, this is like, you know, it's Christmas and Dennis has COVID and has to stay home. This is, this is, this is a big event in the life of the people. And he touches the body of Jesus thereby rendering him unclean for the hollow celebration, but incredibly clean because Jesus was his Savior and Lord. You see, Nicodemus came to a point that he received the information and he lived into the information. When are you going to finally be transformed? We're all very well informed. When are you going to finally be transformed? When are you going to finally live the truth and not just know the truth? God in heaven, help us. We are a people who know a lot. Oh, we know. We know. Help us to do what we know. Help us to live what we know. Give us the wisdom of Nicodemus to take the new information he received and be transformed to become an actual child of God, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. And so as we start to sing the next song, I'm going to encourage you to walk to communion. Stations at the front and the back of the room, gluten-free on the sides of the platform as well as at the back door. And as you make the walk, would you think about your file of information? That thing you keep pushing off and saying, I know, but I can handle it. When are you going to surrender? Surrender what you know. Surrender to what you know. Surrender to who you know. Let's make the walk together. Stan. One more. Oh, we can sing it, but do we believe it? This past year put that song to the test. Put the song to the test big time. Some of us, I mean, we're, we're great at wearing our our phobias and our fears and our anxieties and our problems on our shirt. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I should live differently than everybody walking around me. I can walk through the water with confidence. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death fearlessly. Ever so fearlessly. 
You see, what I'd suggest for some of us is we need to go home and get that song on Spotify or on iTunes or on your cassette player, and, and, and you need to listen to that thing about a thousand times this week and say, yes, it's true, and I choose to live it. I choose to live it because it is truth. I'm a child of God, and that vanquishes all fear. Perfect love casts out fear. I can live fearlessly, boldly, not just because I have a bolder, courageous personality, but because of who's, out by my side, who's by my side and who's within me every step of the way. Let's live fearlessly, not because we're delusional, but because we're children of the Most High God. And that we pray, God, today, that that truth would invade and capture our souls. What a beautiful song! how much more beautiful it would be if people could see it lived. Instead of being the Pharisee who speaks the truth but doesn't live the truth, help us to be a billboard for Jesus. One that demonstrates that we live fearlessly not because we're delusional, but because we are no longer slaves to the old way. We belong to Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being here today, folks.